0: Welcome, friend, to our continued journey along the Celtic Way. On our previous walks, we have entered into the places and stories of Patrick. Today, we're moving on from Patrick to look at the story of a woman, Bridget, who lived around the same time as him. From unlikely beginnings, God led Brigid on a path to spiritual leadership and influence. And she'll give us a window into how God leads us to become who we were created to be as well. Before we hear more, let's begin our walk with a sensory warm up to help us ground ourselves in our body. Today, we're going to do this with a particular focus trees. You'll have noticed by now that our pilgrimage is grouped into roots and branches, and today's story will explore that imagery even more. So to prepare, I invite you to take these next few minutes to appreciate trees in a way you may never have considered, a way that may even take you outside your comfort zone, but that will certainly shift your perspective of trees going forward. Intrigued? Let's get started. Whether you're in a forest or a city park, on a university campus, or in a suburban neighborhood, Look around you and notice the trees. Is there a particular tree that captures your attention? If you're able, I invite you to approach this tree. I'll give you a few seconds to get there, but feel free to press pause if you need more time to walk over to it. When you arrive next to the tree, give it your full attention. With a posture of humility and gratitude, start by looking at the base of the trunk and slowly work your way up. Without touching it, notice the texture of its bark. Look at how the branches take form and spread out. Are there a few or many branches? How far up the trunk do they begin? Would they be strong enough to carry the weight of a human, or are they more fragile in stature? Observe any leaves, or perhaps pine needles, palms, or flowers. Imagine what the view looks like from the very top of your tree. Close your eyes if that helps you. Are there other living beings who call this tree home or who use it for food? What does this tree smell like? Don't be afraid to be a little odd and put your nose right up to the bark if you want. How does this tree feel to the touch? How does your body feel as you look at or touch this tree? Maybe there's a way your body wants to respond. If so... Honor that instinct. Maybe this is by making further contact with the tree or some other kind of gesture or even a few words. Next, I invite you to move to a place from which you can see the whole tree. Take a few seconds now to get there. This time, start by looking at the very top of the tree. Let your eyes follow a path down its branches, small branches attaching to bigger branches joining with bigger branches still until they meet the main trunk. Continue your gaze down the main trunk until it reaches the ground. Let's now imagine what this tree looks like underground. Imagine the roots branching out, spreading in all directions. The majority of the roots of most trees are found in the top three feet of soil, and they can extend well beyond a tree's drip line, meaning the roots can cover an area up to three times the diameter of the leafy canopy above. Using your imagination, look at the whole tree and visualize the roots spreading out. Look around at other trees and imagine their roots spreading out underground as well. In and around these roots are fungi that look like tiny, thread-like structures. These fungi have a symbiotic relationship with the trees. Above ground, trees make energy from carbon dioxide and sunlight and then send some of that energy, in the form of liquid sugar, into their roots, where it's shared with the fungi. The fungi return the favor by bringing the tree water, minerals, and other nutrients. This underground fungal network connects the trees in an area, providing a pathway for the sharing of sugars and information between trees. A small sapling struggling to grow in a part of the forest where there's less light may receive extra nutrients shuttled to it from its family of surrounding trees. And not necessarily even trees of the same kind. Trees have been observed to share nutrients with members of different tree species, forming an allyship that benefits all. This network is also used as a pathway of communication between trees, through which they warn each other about drought, pests, and predators. While it's common to see a tree as just an individual being, every tree and every being is part of a much larger community of life. And it's from this new vantage point that we enter into the lessons our walk holds before us. In Calder, on the edge of a grassy plain, there stood an ancient oak tree. Its branches were twisted but sturdy. They had been home to too many nests to count. Its trunk was thick after weathering blizzards, lightning storms, and wars. By its mighty appearance, you would never detect any evidence of the small acorn from which it came. We can imagine that many centuries before, a small woodland creature, perhaps overeager with its haul of nuts, left this fortunate acorn behind on the hilltop. Uneaten, the warmth of the sun coaxed it to sprout, and the spring rains nudged it to germinate. The fertile soil invited it to send down a taproot, and the heavens beckoned it to shoot upward. Throughout its early years, this new seedling faced many dangers, including hungry wildlife. Nevertheless, it steadily succeeded in becoming a slender sapling. And the sapling grew into a small tree. And the small tree patiently continued to grow taller and broader, maturing with every change of the season. Its roots, though unseen, stretched far and wide, anchoring the expanding giant to the earth. Its sprawling canopy served as a source of food and habitat for all manner of other plants, insects, and animals. About a hundred miles from that mighty oak in 451 A.D., a baby girl named Bridget cuddled in the arms of her mother the mother, Bracca, had been abducted into slavery and brought from Scotland to Ireland, a story much like Patrick's. In fact, tradition says it was Patrick himself who introduced Bracca to the God of Jesus and baptized her with his own hands in the name of the Trinity. Bridget's father was the chieftain of Leinster, and he was her mother's master. Thus, The little girl should have been destined to a life governed by the whims of those with power over her, her father, her brothers, the rulers of the land. The stories say that at one point in her youth, Bridget's father tried to sell her into servitude to a local king. Another time, her brothers and father conspired to have her married to a rich nobleman, eager to collect the hefty dowry for themselves. But something else took root in Bridget's life from a young age. A sense of calling, seeds of faith, a solid foundation in the love of Jesus, the God of her mother, a determination that her God, and not the people in power, would have the final say in her future. Her life path would not be decided by her identity as the child of an enslaved mother, nor the offspring of a powerful chieftain. Neither would her life be defined by her femaleness, nor all the politics of marriage brokering or motherhood. Instead, her identity would be cultivated by God. Bridget sensed a calling that her life was a gift that she would offer to God. To the dismay of her father, she refused the cultural norms and family expectations to marry. She found a bishop who would consecrate her into the vocational life of serving God that she knew she was called to. But something strange happened on the evening of her consecration as a nun. When Bridget knelt to pray, the story says that the bishop was intoxicated with the grace of God, and in that moment, he read the wrong rites of consecration over Bridget. Instead of simply consecrating Bridget as nun. To devote her life to Christ, he consecrated Bridget as a bishop, a spiritual leader. As a woman in that era, Bridget would have been excluded from such a path of formal spiritual leadership. But God's Spirit intervened to open it to her. Instead of calling it a mistake, the bishop and everyone else recognized that it was the Holy Spirit at work, intervening, and Bridget became the only female bishop in the land. She became Bishop of Kildare, which means the Church of the Oak. same God has planted an identity within you. Before you were born, at the very origins of your being, God planted the acorn of who you are and the oak of who you would become. And this same spirit is drawing out and cultivating your God-given identity. Through much of my childhood, through young adulthood, I got the message that I was too much. In my family, I was too rebellious, too argumentative, too headstrong. Outside my family, I heard that I was too smart, too strong, too intimidating. I was just too much. Perhaps because my family liked my smarts and my strengths, I never tried to dumb myself down to please others. But I did reject my leadership gifts. Stepping up in leadership just brought rejection from potential boyfriends, but especially within Christian circles. While my male friends were working on becoming stronger leaders, I worked on softer skills—mercy, counseling, empathy. Some years later, I took a spiritual gifts test that required me to ask two people who knew me well to list my top gifts. So imagine my shock and horror when leadership, prophecy, and teaching—the things I had avoided—came out as my top three gifts. No! Orlando, our other guide on the Celtic way, was one of the two people who evaluated me. And then he had the thankless job of helping me process this and break out of the box I would put myself in. I'm not too much for God. Or too little. God did not make a mistake in creating me with all my strengths. And God can cover me with all my weaknesses. God did not make a mistake in creating you either. Psalm 139 speaks volumes about the beauty of God's intimate presence with each of us from the very beginning of our lives. And it speaks to the vulnerability of being truly known and deeply loved just as you are, while yet being summoned to grow fully into who you were created to be. You may have heard this psalm many times before, but as you listen to it now, in this paraphrased version, let the words be spoken over you and encourage you to be present to the God who sees, knows, and loves you.
1: Psalm 139, verses one through 18. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me, and you're there. Then up ahead, and you're there too. Your reassuring presence, coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact darkness isn't dark to you night and day darkness and light they're all the same to you oh yes you shaped me first inside then out you formed me in my mother's womb i thank you high god you're breathtaking body and soul i am marvelously made I worship in adoration, what a creation! You know me, inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared, before I'd even lived one day. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and live always with you.
0: In another version of this psalm, there's a footnote that translates verse 17 as, how precious are your thoughts concerning me. The implication is that God has millions of thoughts about each of us, which is astounding and speaks to how precious we are. I invite you to let that truth sink into your soul now as you respond in prayer. In a moment, I'll suggest a couple of phrases from this psalm that you can use for your prayer today. But you can also choose something else from the psalm that suits you. Let's take a few minutes to pay attention to our breath. Breathing in and breathing out. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Exhale it out through your mouth. Maybe find a rhythm of breathing that more or less matches the rhythm of your footsteps. Breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. Choose one of the following to use as your simple breath prayer. You know me, inside and out. You know me, inside and out. Or, God, you think of me. God, you think of me. Use the phrase that best helps you remind yourself how beloved you are to God and take the next few minutes to say it as your prayer to God, either silently or aloud. Brigid, we encounter stories of people throughout Scripture who discover and choose to live into their God-given identities in unexpected ways and in community with others. During the time when the people of Israel had no king and were ruled by judges, they seemed to be losing their identity as God's people. And as Judges 23-25 says, everyone did as they saw fit. However, In the midst of this time, the short book of Ruth shows two seemingly unremarkable women grow in their identity as part of God's big story. When we meet Ruth and Naomi along the road heading out of Moab, Naomi has been widowed and her two sons have also died, leaving her and her two daughters-in-law without the social structure of marriage that provided women a clear identity in their context. Naomi decided to return to her home village, Bethlehem, in Israel, and encourage the other women to remain in their homeland, Moab, and remarry. However, Ruth refused and claimed a new identity from this point. She would stay with Naomi and leave her homeland.
2: Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me.
0: Naomi, because of the death of her husband and sons in a foreign land, also claimed a new identity. That of bitterness.
2: Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me.
0: Naomi refused to be called by her original name, which means pleasantness. Instead, she took on the name Mara, which means bitter. The beauty of this moment is that Naomi was honest. And that's okay. Ruth received her as she was. We can trust that Ruth saw that Naomi is more than Mara, more than bitter. But she held space for Naomi to feel the loss, feel the grief, anger, and bitterness. Ruth is a picture of hesed. God's steadfast love to Naomi, trusting that God would ultimately bring Naomi healing. As these women, one a foreigner in Israel, the other one returning home, engaged with the reality of their situation, they supported one another and in doing so grew in their God-given identities. Ruth provided basic sustenance for both of them as she went out to glean in the fields. Naomi provided guidance for Ruth to eventually marry Boaz, the kinsman in whose field Ruth worked, who protected her, and who served as a redeemer for both women. Through these interactions, Naomi, who had taken on the identity of bitterness, was now surrounded by a new family, and she became mother to Ruth's son, Obed. And Ruth, the foreigner was welcomed and grafted into the covenant of the God of Israel. Moreover, she became the great-grandmother of King David, a direct ancestor of Jesus.
2: So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian-redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth.
0: Through their faithfulness in the daily struggles, mundane tasks, and joys of their life together, God shaped the identity of these women and his people. Ruth and Naomi's story and the story of Bridget invite us to continue along this way, to allow God to cultivate the identities and callings he's given us, to be like these women who, when they courageously stepped into their identities, allowed God to weave their stories into his story. Bridget's faith impacted her immediate community and generations of Irish people to come. Ruth's lineage impacted Naomi and all of humanity with the arrival of her descendant, Jesus. The starting place for this is an invitation to let the core of your identity be rooted in the soil of God's steadfast love. You are loved And known by God. That is who you are. This may sound simple, and yet to really know this, to really believe this in the deepest part of your being, to let God love you, is hard. We spend so much time trying to be more and achieve more. We let other people's voices or expectations tell us who we are or who we are not. We listen to lies. We tell ourselves lies about who we are. But God's steadfast love remains, inviting us to receive, inviting us to know that we are beloved. Let's return to the tree imagery from earlier, though this time, imagine yourself as a tree. What stage of growth are you in? Do you feel like a young sapling vulnerable in its development, or more mature after weathering some storms, or some stage in between. Imagine your roots going down and spreading out into the depths of God's love for you. What would it look like in your life if, at the core of your being, you were deeply rooted in God's love for you? As God nurtures your tree, calling you to grow and become who you were created to be, is there anything that's stunting your growth? Does the soil need tending? Are there any branches that need to be pruned? Maybe these are in the form of unhelpful identities, lies, or expectations that have been spoken over you. On the other hand, are there things God says about you that are true, that you need to step into that will help you flourish? Are there aspects of your identity or calling that you sense God inviting you to courageously engage? next few moments walking and resting in God's love. Letting God tell you who you are. Letting God love you. I hope today's walk has encouraged you. May you know at your core that God loves you and longs for you to be fully who you are. As we saw in today's stories, this is not just for the flourishing of your own tree. God, with his perspective on the whole forest, is also writing a larger story, cultivating a community that is journeying with each other and with Jesus.